Double Day to Current Day. This is uh, Vintage Baseball Rewind, where we bring you five five things every baseball fan should know. Uh, what happened on December 26th. Today on the show, the Ruth leaks. Punishments are announced for Peds. A wizard is born, and we lose one of the greatest center fielders of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. Mark Fidrich. Now, each time he gets the ball back, you'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever to pitch five career no-hitters. Let's go, ball, Joe. I don't believe what I just saw. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Tom Hannon from TomsVintageBaseball.com, where we bring you Voices of Baseball, joined by Matt Musico from MLB Daily Dingers. Jump into this here a little bit. It's kind of a, a funny little trivia here. Now, this future Hall of Famer, despite his long career, only won two awards. They both came in his rookie year, when he won the Rookie of the Year in a Golden Glove. And he once walked so slow to the mound uh, to talk to his pitcher that Rangers manager Bobby Valentine wondered if he was paid by the hour. <laughs> now, Bobby Valentine is an interesting character. Um, so anyways, who is uh, who is he? Yeah, all right. Well, we'll see that in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but we will start our day on December 26, 1919, something that people probably still remember. Uh, Boston Red Sox owner Harry Frazzi makes a secret agreement to sell Babe Ruth to New York Yankees for $100,000, which included one-fourth cash plus $25,000 a year at 6% interest, plus guaranteeing a $300,000 loan with Fenway Park as collateral. The transaction would be announced publicly in one week. And this, there's no way people don't regret that from happening, I would imagine, right? Uh, Dan Shaughnessy wrote the course, Curse of the Bambino book. Big thing is it's about a play, right? But really, uh, what ended up happening was, I don't know if he, he bought the the Red Sox. And then when the flu pandemic happened, which we might know a little bit about now, uh, it, that cut the season short. World War One cut the season short and the gate receipts went way down. So he was he was really struggling for money. He had leveraged himself to buy the franchise. He couldn't afford the team. So he ended up selling Ruth. And that was just the beginning. He ended up selling off several other players as well. He really, he should have sold the team at that point, but he kept the team. And um, and of course, the Red Sox did not win a World Series for a very long time after that, after getting rid of Ruth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough situation. You know, like, probably like, I would imagine a dream to buy a team. And then all those things kind of seems like a, the perfect storm of unfortunate circumstances kind of put you in this situation that you try and hold on to as much as you can. Living it here. And then the Red Sox did not help matters losing uh, in epic fashion multiple times before they finally won in 2004. Yeah. I mean, I can, uh, I can level with you on that being a Mets fan. It's just like there's just certain times when they just they just know exactly how to rip your heart out in the worst way possible. Like I'd rather just get blown out instead of having uh, you lose in, in heartbreaking fashion. But such is life. Well, I can I can tell you that when the ball went through Buckner's legs, I was sitting on the couch with my dad, the same couch I was sitting on when they lost in 75. Uh. And 
I stood up. We looked at each other. Neither one of us said a word, and we went to bed. <laughs> that's the only. That's the only thing you could do at that point, and get rid of the couch. Other than that, they they did get rid of it. It's just it was something to, to when you watched it, you couldn't believe it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you could, but you couldn't. Yeah. Oh, I, I bet I can imagine. Um, we're gonna fast forward here to December twenty six, two thousand and five. Um, the AP reports that baseball took uh, a lot of shots in two thousand and five from politicians, commentators, and players themselves as the sport struggled with steroids. MLB went on uh, to a no drug policy in uh, 2002. Um, and then they had, the, of course, the anonymous test in 2003, the test in 2004. The initial test, uh, if somebody failed, they had a 10-day suspension for the year. But then they announced the, the new, new suspensions were going to be for initial positive tests would be a 50-game suspension. Then the players will be tested for amphetamines for the first time uh, with penalties for the um, second positive result. MLB um, took similar shots in 1973. Many people don't realize this, but they were on the hot seat by um, the Staggers Committee that found that steroids and amphetamines use in baseball was alarming. And that was in November of uh, 1973. Uh, Bowie Kuhn was there and he testified under oath along with somebody else who Name coincides a little bit here with steroids. Bud Selig was at was there in 73. Both of them vowed to clean up the game, and Congress let them off pretty easily and never revealed the names of the players, unlike 2003. And Tom House, he's going to later give an interview about this, talked about how six of eight players were using steroids. And the famous line that I always, I always refer to is he said, we never felt like we lost. We felt like we were out milligrammed. Um, and that's, this is kind of one of the reasons why I tend to focus more on the thirties through the seventies, because does take away some of this element of, you know, what we've been dealing with here in the last 25 or so years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took a while for major league baseball to get to where they are. I mean, thankfully they have a much better, I mean, a much better, uh, drug agreement and suspension program and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you, know, you can really tell that they're actually trying now, but it took them quite a long time to actually get there. They were the last of all the sports, yeah. uh, which, you know, if you know, it, when you look at the history of it, it, it it's been a, it, you know, baseball has long had a drug culture, which is unfortunate. The, and I think that the more unfortunate thing is, we tend to be very focused on what happened in the 90s and the two th- early 2000s, and we tend to just look past anything that happened before them, which is it's just the way it is. Right, we'll fast, well, not fast forward, we'll rewind for a minute to a birthday, December 26, 1954, in Mobile, Alabama, Ozzie Smith was born. Uh, defying critics who said he was too small and would never hit enough to stay in the big leagues, Ozzie Smith soared through the infield with his acrobatic moves, redefining the role of shortstop. He won 13 straight gold gloves and set a major league record for assists by shortstop. Delta the St. Louis Cardinals early in his career, Smith became one of the most popular players in franchise history. A switch hitter, Ozzie blasted one of the few home runs from the left side of the plate to win the 1985 National League pennant. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 2002, his first year of eligibility. That 85 homer was, was pretty ridiculous. I think, if I remember reading correctly, he hadn't hit a home run left-handed like in his first 3,000 at-bats or plate appearances or something ridic- a ridiculously large number like that. And then to get enough backspin on that ball and get it over the fence is just pretty incredible. Another great defensive player uh, who had, did pass away on this day, uh, December 26th in 2003, 
2013 in Baltimore was Paul Blair. Uh, he was an eight-time Gold Glove Award winner. He was the best defensive center in the American League in the 60s and the early 70s. He had uncanny instincts, great speed. Blair positioned himself perfectly, often glided to shallow center to snare would-be singles. He had great, several great moments in the postseason, including a game-winning home run in Game 3 of the 66 World Series and a leaping catch the next day to prevent a home run. Unfortunately, in 1970, uh, Blair was hit in the cheek under his left eye by a fastball by Ken Tatum of the Angels. It shattered about four different bones in his face, and he underwent surgery. Uh, he missed 21 games. Uh, he rebounded to play another 10 seasons, and contrary to some who say he was never quite the same hitter, Blair claimed he, um, he was unaffected by the incident. He never saw Tatum's pitch, so Blair said, I was never haunted by the image of the ball hitting me. January 20th, uh, 1977, Blair will eventually be traded to the Yankees, and, and he participated in an infamous event on June 18th uh, in that same year on a nationally televised game against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. Uh, he was involved, although not directly, uh, when he replaced Reggie Jackson in right field. Billy, Mark, Billy Martin took Reggie out in the middle of the inning when, he, when Jackson misplayed uh, Jim Rice's fly ball into a double. As the cameras watched, Jackson and Martin nearly came to blows. Uh, and after winning the World Series um, title with the Yankees in 77 and 78, Blair was released um, early in the 1979 season. Overall, he won four World Series rings, two with the Orioles and two with the Yankees. Billy Martin and the Yankees, just it always makes me laugh. Just I saw something on Twitter the other day. It was like the first 15 managers or, or like maybe like the first 15 years of George Steinbrenner's ownership, who is who his managers were like in chronological order. I think Billy Martin was on there like five, four or five times, something like that, four or five separate times. Just like and he wasn't I think it was him. Gene Michael was there multiple times. There's somebody else that was there multiple times. I can't remember off the top of my head now. It's like that was quite the um, quite the lineup to, to start things off. But I mean, you know, you got the major Yankees four different times. So it's pretty good. They just had a special on the on ESPN about the uh, Dodgers and the Yankees, mm. and and they talked about this play. and Martin Martin didn't like Jackson, uh, which was a big part of the problem. He wanted Joe Rudy in the off season, and they signed uh, Reggie instead. Bucky Dent talked about that um, about that ball that Rice hit, and he never felt like Jackson misplayed it. He just said it was just hit in one of those spots where no where you weren't. There was no getting to it, and, but it was a great series. Uh, how they talked about the Yankees and Dodgers rivalry, and of course Martin was there. Like you said, he managed the team so many times in the beginning. It was the opposite of Steinbrenner's late Yankees uh, life when when Tory was the, he was stability. Uh, it was the opposite of what it was before then. Yeah. Before we get to the um, trivia, just a quick word about Tom's Vintage Baseball. I like to say baseball is the only game where you can watch on the radio. Uh, Tom's Vintage Baseball is about the voices of the games, announces game highlights and interviews. Um, in Ken Burns' uh, baseball, Pete Rose said that Brooks Robinson in 1970s played on a league above. You know, and uh, Blair, who I just mentioned, uh, joined him, Belanger, uh, to form just a fantastic defensive team. And you can listen to so many of those games. Uh, this game four of the 1966 World Series. There's the entire 1970 World Series. And there's a dozen games um, in between. With Babe Ruth, 
Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of games for Ruth, only the uh, 34 All-Star game, but there's countless interviews. Um, he had his own show, and there's about uh, 29 episodes of that you could uh, check out over there. So um, there's over 300 games um, from the 30s to 70s, hundreds of interviews and game highlights. Uh, the cool thing is you can take the recordings anywhere you uh, anywhere you go with the app. Uh, all the regular season games are free to listen to, and we have a premium version as well. Try it out for free at uh, tomsventuresbaseball.com. Matt, how about that trivia? All right. So our today's trivia answer is also celebrating a birthday today. He was born on December 26, 1947's future Hall of Famer Carlton Fisk, who was born in Bellows Falls, Vermont. A unanimous Rookie of the Year selection in 1972 when he would win his only gold glove, the studious uh, Carlton Fisk was at times the best catcher in the American League during the 1970s and 1980s. He hit one of the most dramatic home runs in postseason history, winning Game 6 of the 1975 World Series for the Red Sox. Fisk was one of the most entertaining characters of his era. He marched to the beat of his own drum. While, the, while with the Red Sox, he earned a reputation as a tough competitor and clubhouse lawyer. In both Boston and Chicago, he clashed with his GM and owners, and he was once involved in the collusion case against baseball in the late 1980s. In that case, free agents like Fisk and Kirk Gibson charged that owners had conspired to limit free agent movement. The players won in a slam dunk fashion, and Fisk emerged even more bitter and suspicious. As a player, Fisk walked like an 85-year-old man, even when he was in his 20s. He was very concerned with his appearance, and he took as much time as any batter preparing to hit. He once walked so slow to the mound to talk to his pitcher that Rangers manager Bobby Valentine wondered if he was paid by the hour. Fisk considered himself a protector of the game's honor. On numerous occasions, he challenged teammates for failing to play the game properly or, worst of all, failing to hustle. In a celebrated incident, he nearly came to blows with the entire with the entire New York team after the admonished Yankee rookie Deion Sanders for failing to run out a routine grounder. Shocked by the confrontation, Sanders later apologized for his actions. At the end of his career, Fisk had proved most of his critics and skeptics, skeptics wrong, playing more games than any other catcher in baseball history. Despite injuries, many of them before the age of 30, having to fight for playing time and a tall friend that took plenty of abuse. Over 24 seasons, his back and knees held up well and, caught, and he caught his last game at the age of 45. So he was essentially the known Ryan of the catching profession, which is probably more impressive than, I mean, I don't know. They're both really impressive, but think about how brutal it is to be a major league catcher. I feel like it's got to be more, more, more impressive. And with the White Sox, he set single season and career records for homers by a catcher, as well as games caught in a career. And he was elected to the Hall of Fame in 2000. Yeah, when Pudge left uh, after that debacle that we've already talked about uh, previously, that was a painful one. It's interesting that he was part of the collusion um, group that that won against Major League Baseball. Just real quick on that, I did a podcast about this when I when I did my own show about uh, Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax. So they held out they held out together, and Major League Baseball owners were afraid that more players were going to do that. So the owners are the ones that put collusion into the um, into the agreement with the players. Sure. And <laughs> to date, the owners are the only ones who have colluded. The players have never done it since uh, Drysdale and Koufax. Well, I mean that. That checks out, I feel like. so. Yeah, the baseball owners, they made a lot of money to own the team, but the things they do when they own the teams are definitely questionable sometimes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
So that's a wrap for today's show. Uh, Matt, I hope you had some fun with us on the show today um, and tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mmusico8 and you can also find me at my blog, mlbdailydingers.com. And it's easy to find me at tomswinchesbaseball.com. You can join and hit me up for a chat. And uh, in the show notes, you can uh, we've got links to Matt's Twitter account, Matt's blog, Tom Finch's Baseball. It makes it real easy for you. Just scroll down, swipe up, click on our links, and you can head over and, uh, and connect with us. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us today um, on the Vintage Baseball Rewind. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit TomSwitchesBaseball.com for more resources as well as access to episodes about baseball history. Uh, we got this podcast over there as well, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, reach out to us on Twitter on our, or on TomSwitchesBaseball.com. And until next time, we're out.